Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me across the desk, unlike Dusselier, she is bringing the art of the cocktail back, not only to Italy, but to this podcast. <laughs> it's Regan Levitt. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. <laughs> the, the intros are getting increasingly long. I've like trying to keep them, can I just do this in one breath, and it's not necessarily working. But Regan does make a good cocktail. This oh, is true. I've only it's ever made you one cocktail. Canonical law. I've only ever made you one cocktail <laughs> one time. Although I also associate like us going to Twisted Carrot and like enjoying oh, good I, cocktails together. When Pat actually makes the cocktail, you say that's me. <laughs> I'm yeah, like just buy, buy, yeah, just buy, just buy like trans, transitive qualities. Transitive. There we go. That's that's what I was looking for. Um, so we've had a couple some time off since last time we recorded. Although mm-hmm. the people are getting this immediately. Yes. Week after week. Um, I've seen Barbenheimer. The people of the, the listenership have listened to Danielle and I talk about Barbenheimer, presumably at this point. Okay. And, I have uh, not yet done the Barbenheimer. I don't think I'll do the Heimer part, frankly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that attracted to Killian Murphy, frankly. Um, it's That's not necessary to enjoy his performance in Oppenheimer, I would say. Um, He's not like a historical biopic kind of gal. This is the strangest historical biopic you've ever seen in your life. Right. Uh, but Think about it. I've seen uh, friends of mine advocate for the uh, Barbie theater camp doubleheader as opposed mm. to the Barbie Oppenheimer doubleheader. Okay. Well, I don't think that theater camp is available to us readily in Plattsburgh, New York. Might be in Burlington, Vermont, though. Mm, this is true. All right. We're talking about none of those things on this episode, however. We are talking about The Young Pope, Episode 7. We are heading towards the end, sadly. Oh, there's always the new Pope in our future. Maybe. Future summer right. projects. <laughs> so we have Young Pope, Episode 7, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Paolo Sorrentino, Tony Grizzoni, and Pepe Fiore. And Regan and I would like to know that this podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG After Strikes, and that without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, this show that we love so much would not exist. Pay your writers. Pay your writers. Pay your actors. Pay the actors. Stop trying to make everything via AI, and uh, fuck you, David Zaslav. As always, Regan, would you like to read us the IMDb summary for this episode? Would love to. In the wake of a tragedy, Desilier experiences doubt in his abilities, while the Pope begins to question his own decisions as a fresh plot against him emerges. Great. And what would you say the theme is we want to talk about for this episode? There were many options. Many options. Many options. We settled in on fragility and the finiteness of the human experience. Great. Nice, light, airy subject for our afternoon together. Yep. Where, what in this episode kind of brings us to that? Or where would you like to start and where does we think about that? I think we just need to talk about Andrew. We do need to talk about Andrew. And how he was brutally murdered for sleeping with someone's wife. Mm Mm-hmm. And that made me really sad. Yeah. I, what a downer. On, like, the personal level of Andrew as a character and the, like, way it affects us. Like, was that a surprising thing to have happen to Andrew to you? I was shocked. Yeah. I thought he was going to make it through the whole episode. Or through through the whole series, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, did not anticipate him dying. Um, I but I think as, as I we've gotten through this podcast, I think all of your feelings and obsessions about Lenny... I feel like I mirror that because I love Andrew, I think, in the way that you love Lenny. Yeah. Um, So he was easily one of my favorite characters. Andrew, much more lovable than Lenny. (laughs) Yes, which is the difference between John and I. I don't know what we're saying there. We don't have to unpack it, although I'm open to it. But (laughs) I'm just saying that you tend to love broken things because you try to fix them. No, never. (laughs) No, never. Your cat had to be extremely rehabilitated. Oh, my God. Um, But, yeah, so he um, is having a rough episode. It's weighing on him heavily um, of the young would-be priest suicide. Was it his fault? Was it Lenny's fault? He feels it's ultimately Lenny's fault. Um, He's only enacting the word of... But but, But also accepts, like, responsibility and feels guilt for himself, too. Yeah. Um, definitely does that. Um, and then I think just is having a journey and was not, you know, wanted to go back home. Home to him is Honduras. Yeah. And then arrives, see this, sees this woman. Is she the same woman who was in the threesome? Yes. Okay. I was not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so sees his, his partner and she just goes, um, he knows. And he was like, oh shit, here we go. What a conversation he has in the back of the car. Right. I mean, 
in all of these different points of Andrew's arc in this episode, and this is, I think, somewhat indicative of Andrew's arc as a whole, right, is I think back to, like, him and Lenny running around mm-hmm. uh, Rome and talking with the sex worker that they meet, right, that... But this episode in particular, Andrew is really involved in a lot of conversations about, like, what are the different moral economies at mm-hmm. work, like, mm-hmm. in the church, and how do those relate to one's own kind of personal, right. like, moral sets of beliefs, which ultimately, like, to your point, is a question of the finitude and of the fragility right. of human existence, right? Because Andrew's presented with, like, a series of competing moral worldviews in this episode, so mm-hmm. we get this most explicitly, of course, in the conversation and the speech that, like, the narco-trafficker gives to him as they're in the car. Right. Right? And this happens on two levels. First, it happens where the trafficker is, like, were you to only, right, refuse me communion and preach against drug trafficking, as the current replacement priest for Andrew is doing, that's totally fine, and I actually have some respect for that. It's So first, it's the sleeping with uh, his having sex with his wife that mm-hmm. is the line that's been crossed, because that's mm-hmm. a disrespect in a way that uh, refusing him communion would not be disrespect in quite the same way. So we mm-hmm. have that kind of like moral judgment that's happening. Right. Which is followed by the trafficker giving this uh, kind of presentation of my profound religiosity, which he says with an edge, and I think mm-hmm. we're meant to like view as sarcastic, but also real, mm-hmm. is that he should let and you know forgive Andrew, right? Mm-hmm. So he's raising the specter of religious or Catholic forgiveness contrasted with his uh, working professional ethics is I think the phrase that he uses which would require him to kill Andrew and that's where he goes with so Mm -hmm. he sets up the possibility of like this redemption via uh, like Catholic morality and then opts for the kind of professional morality so there's a reading of Andrew and like the moral economies that he's in there which I think though is contrasted with we could we could read this whole scenario as Andrew being punished for his sins, right? His Mm -hmm. sins of fornication, Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. sins of breaking his vow of celibacy, a vow of celibacy that gets raised Mm -hmm. directly in a conversation with him and Lenny in the episode. So, like, there's a way in which, as much as the narco-trafficker is trying to separate the Catholic moral economy and his narco-trafficker professional moral economy, those two things actually get collapsed in a fucked-up way for Lenny, for Mary, Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. Voyello, and ultimately for Andrew himself. Right. Well, and I think also it was brought up two episodes ago. I think Calton Aceta says it where he says, well, what is the purpose of a priest? Yeah. Right. And I think that's also a kind of an interesting look of like the narco, I think, frames it kind of an interesting way of like, I have my work life, I have my home life. Um, things that John and I also have um, <laughs> in theory. Uh, right. Well, which are blurring over in right. practice. It's, right, it blurs. Right. Well, and like the priest operates on a very blurred line because yeah. your job and what you're paid to do and compensated to do is to be a priest. We also see that he's not in priest mode here. He's wearing jeans and a button down. Yeah. Right? Very Father Denny of him. <laughs> Just give that man a corona. Um, he does not travel in his cardinal gear um, and is prepared to be otherwise an ordinary person, right? To the point of where I was kind of wondering if he was just going to give up his vow of the cloth. Yeah. Right? Because when you become a priest, you also give your whole life to God, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no work-life balance there. Um, And that's where it comes upon Andrew of like, did he enact all of the things he should have? With his sort of judgment of like, yes, he breaks his vow of celibacy, um, and he has uh, does like the sin of fornication, absolutely, yeah. Um, but he has he is held to the standard, I think, because he has risen so high in the church, and he's held to that standard because this is Lenny's absolute and severe standard, mm. right? So, like. On a personal level, obviously, I, I I do think Lenny loves Andrew. I know we had this conversation. And then from Lenny's, like, imposition of this extreme set of requirements and restrictions on priests, like, there's a fucked up way in which if we take Lenny's view to its logical conclusion, Andrew deserved what happened to him, mm-hmm. right? I don't agree with that personally, right? But, like, there is a reading of and an extension of Lenny's worldview that makes that the truth in the show. Mm -hmm. Even though, and I agree with you here, like, Andrew's a better priest as, like, a what is a priest on a human level than Lenny could ever hope to be. Right. When was the last time that Lenny gave that sort of sermon that he does in um, previous episodes? Like, 
Lenny does none of the groundwork. Andrew does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do we also want to talk about his conversation with Lenny? Yeah, I mean, only that there the question is one of who is culpable for Mm -hmm. the suicide for the death of Angelo Sanchez. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I seems to me that Lenny thinks that the church, that Lenny, that Andrew all bear some responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Voyello then gives the more direct answer later. Voyello says, you killed him. You, mm-hmm. Lenny, killed him. I find myself shockingly agreeing with Voyello. Yeah, I think... Was this a necessary edict to make? Absolutely fucking not. No, not at all. And, like, the conversation between Lenny and, um, and Andrew happens in the context of discussions about being orphans, happens in the, com- in the discussion about, like, Lenny's ideas that it's a good thing there's the vow of celibacy because it prevents um, priests from trying to replace God, right? They're all orphans and they're all underdeveloped is the implication because they can never really be a father themselves mm. due to the vow of celibacy. True. Uh, of course, like Andrew potentially could have been a father, right? If he's out having sex, um, that could lead to uh, reproduction in some form. But like, I think that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's just like that conversation is so saturated with moral questions Mm -hmm. that I think it begs um, looking at those moral questions and the rest of Andrew's character, development, plot, like multiple settings and different settings that are not the Vatican that he spends most of his time in in this episode. Mm. I mean, what did you make of him at this party? (laughs) So this is where kind of like the fragility and finiteness of the human experience came in for me is that this is Andrew. We're seeing him at his most human and a lot of aspects of this episode are people being very human. Right. And so he like is having this like drunken party nightmare. And that's like something that I think is disconcerting to him and he uh-huh. does not want. Yeah. I mean, the last time we saw him do something to Botrus, it's actually pretty intimate. It's him and yeah. two other people. It's life affirming as opposed to yeah. ab- life abnegating. Right. Um, so I, I made of it like this sort of like it's him having a, a nightmare. Um, he is uncomfortable with this side of humanity. Um, versus I think Lenny would be like right at home there in this drunken revel and would have been like, all right, let's go. Um, where's my Coke zero? Um, <laughs> right. Where's my cherry Coke zero? Right. right. Like he would have been sober. No, right. we haven't seen, but he Lenny would have been smoking alcohol. like a chimney. Oh yeah. Um, probably with the sunglasses on indoors. Uh, yes. Papal sunglasses. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, right. Andrew seeks out, I think, like intimate relationships with people because of his humanness. And that's what drives Lenny away from it, obviously, yeah. is his chasing away of humanity by not developing intimate relationships with anyone. I agree with you. The hostess of the party, right, who's the person who like hit on slash invited Andrew to the party in the previous episode, mm-hmm. right? Um, comes into the bathroom while uh, Andrew is there, right? right. Just like tear, tear away dress. <laughs> Great fashion choice for this like Contessa, I don't know, um, or whatever. She also has great boobs. Good for her. <laughs> right, like I was, I was really impressed. Anyway, takes all her clothes off and just like wants to fuck Andrew right there in right. the in the bathroom. And all Andrew can do is like laugh. Yeah. What what's happening there? Do you think? Um, well, I think it's him maybe having regrets or like he. I think doesn't want to do debaucherous things in the Vatican because he knows how easy it would yeah. be for him to get caught. Mm-hmm. He wants to go home to Honduras because he doesn't think he can get hot, caught yeah. there. Aha, that does yeah. happen, mm-hmm. right? He gets some comeuppance, a bit of a bait and switch. I'm I'm, I'm no scholar of uh, literature, but that seems like dramatic irony to me. Uh, yes, that is that is correct, John. Yeah. Great, great job recollecting it back to high Sussex school English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so I really was thinking, like, this is him going, like, doing, like, the political thing of he doesn't want to get caught. Yeah. But he also is laughing, I think, out of stress. Yeah. Like, he does not want to be there. Mm -hmm. And also finds, and also maybe is operating with some level of regret. Yeah. Um, for sure. That, I think, is a key point because there's a way in which, like, I think... I'm assuming this is on purpose that the person that they cast to play this like Italian contessa or whatever has some physical similarities to the Honduran mm-hmm. woman that um, mm-hmm. that uh, he sleeps with. Like the Italian woman is like a little bit older, right? right. A little bit different body type, right. but like I still think in the face, like there are some right. similarities. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, and like different ethnicities, I recognize that, but mm-hmm. um, I, I suspect that like the regret might be coming in there. 
Mm, yeah. Oh, Andrew. But yeah, I think you said it called it a nightmare, and that seems right to me. Like, and it ends, of course, with like him being assaulted by the mm-hmm. son in the car yes. when the son thinks he's just totally passed out. Um, and Andrew like fends him off, kind of, mm-hmm. and just gets thrown down in the street in his underwear. Right. And and his chain, which he had lost in the pool earlier right. in the evening. Yeah. Yes. Um, just like really brought low quite literally. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very, like very challenging, like deeply depressing, sad Andrew. Moment, yes. Yeah. Not a way, not the way anyone wants to go out. No, they don't actually film the murder itself, which I no. thought was a yeah, notable was choice. Good. Well, and especially cause it, I think it was also mirroring back of him getting out of the car. Yeah. Right, exactly. where he's, like, tossed headfirst out, and but instead the driver is dragging him out headfirst. Yeah. So I thought maybe, oh, maybe he... I think that was just the writer's choice of trying to um, tease, like, does he make it? Like, what does the narco do? What choice does yeah. he make? Yeah. And then we get the Honduran woman that he has some sort of relationship with, like, looking out the window mm-hmm. back at him right. as she cries, which is a very touching scene. It is, yeah. <sighs> Andrew, R.I.P., Right, pour, pour out a goblet of Catholic wine. Yep. A, a goblet of um, Church Merlot. Church Merlot. Yes. Yeah. Fun it's... fact, most, most most church wine is Merlot. All right. Did not know that. Now you know. Learn things all the time on not right. very great books. So what to do about Mary? Yeah, Mary Sister is Mary. her own, like, experience of her own fragility and the fightiness of her abilities too. Right, yeah. Right, so she spends, there's a key moment in this scene where um, she kind of mirrors some of the ways that we've seen Lenny in this season of television, Mm -hmm. but Mary is doing it in a much more circumspect way. She's Mm -hmm. praying like, hands clasped in front of her, right, kneeling whenever not Jesus pose (laughs) prayer as Lenny is wont to do. And she's asking for forgiveness because she says, I have have deceived the Pope. I'm going to keep deceiving the Pope. But it's because I, you know, want to save the church or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she does have all sorts of schemes in this episode in partnership with Foyello. Mm -hmm. um, Or maybe in partnership with Foyello. So the sneak in a resignation letter and these Mm -hmm. policy changes is a very explicit Mary Foyello team up scheme. Do we think Viola is also in on the fake parents? He denies it. He denies it. I don't know. I'm not sure. I wasn't sure. I had always thought he was in on it, but then I like caught myself in that he and Lenny are having that conversation. Lenny's like, they call attention to Voyello being as like honest and confrontational as he possibly can mm-hmm. in that conversation. Right. And so I read that as a clue that we can that he actually didn't know about the fake parents. I scam. feel like maybe Mayor, he knew about it after it happened. Uh, that's but that's before I think the a good dinner. Read. That's a good read. That would be my sense if he yeah. did. That would be my guess. But yeah. otherwise, I was really not quite sure. Yeah. Um. Just because I think Mary also is extremely wary of who Voyello is. Yes. Um, and also, I don't think I we, we real, I realized that until this episode, we did not know his first name. His first name is Angelo, mm-hmm. um, which I find to be just a, what a choice. <laughs> what a choice. But yeah, I think Mary is in a moment, I think, of also having a lot of doubts in Lenny. And if the doubts are happening, um, that's not good, um, especially because Mary, prior to this, is the person who supports him the most. But still gives him that support in this episode. Yes. Like, gives him the, like, but you're felt- a saint. You've healed people. You made a sterile woman pregnant. Right. You're Christ reincarnate or whatever it is but that she says. But this time around, I felt like it seemed a little false yes, to me. Yes, I agree. Like, she's questioning I if totally that's really agree. true. Yeah. Um, which I think is going to be part of Lenny's downfall. Um, is that Mary is no longer 100% in his court. Yeah. Each time I've watched this, I've gone back and forth on what exactly Mary is doing there. Like, mm. is it that she has Lenny, Lenny's latest miracles, he can sniff these two people and tell they're not his parents or sniff just the uh, woman and tell that it's not his mother. 
but it's mainly a joke, but Lenny saying he has this moment of clarity. Does Lenny like recognizing that these are not his parents, like convince her that this is wrong. And so she's gone back to this genuine Lenny, you're a saint, Lenny, you're basically Christ. Or is she like, as you said, kind of like playing him by faux supporting him and puffing him up in the way that she very, very, very much know he needs Mm -hmm. while simultaneously uh, like working to take him down. Mm -hmm. Right. Because as you know, as she tells him, like, you're not going to resign, you're going to be the greatest pope there ever was. I don't know. I mean, for me, this was also the big realization of, of also like really comprehending that Mary is the one telling Lenny all of these things that he believes about himself and why he should be doing the, the Christ prayer and shit. Like that one, that really, I think hit home for me finally in this episode that this is why Lenny behaves the way he does, even though he can't call her ma. Right. <laughs> um, and then she finds the two actors. Oh my God. Yeah. What a scene. What a scene. Yeah. I mean, Mary is so closely tied to both parts of the duality of Lenny's being the grandiosity of his self vision and his total and utter fragility and helplessness and like Mm -hmm. trapped development as this orphan child. Mm -hmm. She has such an intimate relationship to both parts of him. Yes, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) There's the parent scene, which is a hilarious scene. Right. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you like, you realize that they're not, his parents before he no, realizes not quite. it. Really, I, oh, I like when when the father actor was like mentioning the pipe. I was like, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, okay. And then he smelled her, and I was like, oh <laughs> shit, I guess not. So no, I was fooled. But the show is certainly, I think, capable. Uh, it would have been capable of pulling off that scene in which they actually are his parents. Mm, like yeah. that, that's totally within the realm of possibility. Absolutely, of this show. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just such an interesting dynamic with the parents. Also, should we pivot into discussing Lenny? Yeah, and the parents? absolutely. Okay. And like his, you know, his his reaction to that is just fascinating to me. Right. So. In the flashback, we learn that he he like has rec- he can recognize his mother by her sense of smell, which is really kind of wild. And I think also part of this has to do with the human experience is that if we had not already done an episode about bodies, I would have said this is another yes, body full episode where this is also him like using like human senses in order to discern the truth, right? And so he thinks that he can smell I don't know I'm I he figured it out okay sure and to even push that point further he like went into rational logical mode to try to figure this out with the well let's get this pipe story straight and it's only when he is like I have to go to something more immediate and Mm -hmm. something more immediately embodied that he like makes the final determination Mm, of truth yeah no that's true um, but yes, having a, this uh, phenomenal papal sense of smell. Um, <laughs> right. But also like just brings into point like when you're first born, like you your sense of smell is as it's is at its highest. And that's how you people like babies detect who their parents are <laughs> because they like newborns cannot see a shit. That's right. Yeah. Um, you can't see more than three feet in front of you yeah. until you're about a year old. As we determined in the previous episode, my newborn expertise is quite low. It's okay. Um, I also was not expecting this show to have so many babies, but I guess it is about Catholicism. Should I should have known? I should have known. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> it's only in Lenny's like nightmare slash fantasy that he's pro contraception. Otherwise, right. all the babies all the time. Exactly. He, he men will literally lead to an immaculate conception rather than go to therapy. That's true. That is true. Um, but yeah, it is like an embodied moment for him of finally kind of going of using like his sen- his literal senses to figure things out and go for rational things. Yeah, um, which provides the sense of I forget if he calls it clarity or happiness or something yeah. like that. Where in the couple of seconds, right, that he gets that like these are my parents, mm-hmm. he thanks Sister Mary for that, mm-hmm. even though it's all a ruse, even though it's like in some ways the ultimate deception or betrayal right. that she could make for of him or for him. Or to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does have that, like, moment of clarity within it all. Right. That he does seem to, like, genuinely and truly value. Like, I don't think he's being sarcastic to Mary there. I agree. I think he's 
He, I think Lenin is well aware that he is a broken man because of his parents' abandonment. Yeah. And he is, especially in this episode, struggling to reconcile with the fact that he needs to put himself back together. Yeah. He doesn't know how. Yeah. He definitely does not know how. Um, especially to the point of where he kind of reviews... I, fe- I felt the sense of, like, he was behaving when the resignation lezers got snuck to him. Uh, or forms that it was really for him resigning or not being the Pope is actually a form of suicide. Like he would rather continue, not continue living after this. Again, a very embodied fragile moment of like, well, if I do that, I'm in ruin. And I think for him, that would be full ruin. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And this is, you know, the, the duality of like Lenny um, and how it like affects me as a viewer and I don't know, potentially other viewers as well is that he is simultaneously like so fragile and broken mm-hmm. and like, I cannot but help sympathize with him um, and like recognize, you know, what are the, what are the parts of like my own fragility that I actually do see in Lenny? Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know if I name anything that specific, but like there, I nonetheless feel that at the same time that like his worldview, his imposition of his worldview on people like are um, like both on the meta or extra level of us as viewers discussing, but like even in the world, like limited to the universe of the show, right? Like leads to the death of Angelo indirectly, like leads to the death of Andrew, right? Andrew doesn't go back to Honduras. I don't think Mm -hmm. if Lenny is like not so harsh and if Angelo doesn't, doesn't, if Lenny's policies don't lead to Angelo's suicide Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and everything like that. So there's, again, just like Lenny, like the emotional resonance with Lenny is just like runs deep, as he's a you know kind of deplorable person right right um he also has many confrontations as well this episode with one with Voyello, one with Tommaso and we've already kind of gone over what happens with Andrew yeah what was your sense about either of these I think in all of those there's uh, within the universe like who's winning young Pope mm-hmm. switch that all of the power relations between those Lenny and those three people individually have all shifted mm-hmm. and that that comes true in and it was that is demonstrated by each and demonstrated within each of those conversations um, so there's kind of that on the like very plot level but on the kind of more emotional level all three of them bring an emotional directness to Lenny and confrontational mm-hmm. quality to Lenny that is I think more interesting than like Lenny's losing power at the Vatican right um, right, because Voyello's confrontation is actually, I think, the most honest moments that the two of them have had. Mm-hmm. Like, for sure. Tommaso's, like, really tears Lenny down to his core. Yes. Um, and Andrew's just pushes Andrew away. Mm-hmm. Um, and takes him, and, like, that's Sister Mary and Andrew are, like, mm-hmm. the only genuinely human relationships he has. It's true. And pushes Andrew so far away that, like, he ends up losing Andrew. Mm-hmm. Andrew ends up being taken from him, but he also pushed him away. Right. Yeah. yeah. And earlier, though, in Lenny's experience of this episode, we get a recollection or, like, a stitching together of several dream sequences that he's yeah. had, right? So we have, obviously, the opening of the entire season as he crawls out um, from the pile of, like, fetuses or dead right. babies or right. living or, babies, whatever. Right. Um And here in this episode, he crawls out from them uh, to reunite with his mother. Lenny is his current age as Mm -hmm. Pope in his Popely getup as he has as a child in the Mm -hmm. previous dreams. And then they meet up with his father and, like, walk off happily. Mm -hmm. What a strange dream for Lenny to have. But not strange. Not strange, right? Strange in the, like... This is the way the show is doing its visual storytelling. Not necessarily strange for the character of Lenny. Well, you are I think about that. maybe the I feel like so. Part of me is kind of feeling like this dream sets up the entirety of the episode, and yeah. that Lenny is also realizing he's not meant to be Pope in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Like the dream sets us up for what he really wants, which yeah. is to be reunited with his parents. Right. Arguably, I think we could extend that reading further and say that Lenny became Pope to increase the chances that he would reunite with his parents because right. they he will be such a 
like public figure. Exactly. Um, that like they would have no uh, no option other than to like try to reunite with him or reconnect right. with him. Right. Because who wouldn't want to reunite with their child, the Pope? Yeah. <laughs> um, Lenny's parents. Lenny's parents. I don't know. I feel that Lenny's parents are probably dead. They love partying, so that's why they abandoned him. They're probably dead. They probably both OD'd. Did you, did you make anything of Lenny's nosebleed when he, like, wakes up from that dream? Right, so he returns to waking mm. life and like in what is a daydream. He's not sleeping, he's right, awake, right. but is having this daydream while he's looking at the paint the paintings that he had in the past when looking out with Gutierrez. So Gutierrez is not here. Right. Gutierrez is presumably in New York. Right. Right. So like Lenny's clearly feeling that absence, I mm-hmm. think, in this episode, because that's the I other did. Me too. That's the other like human relationship or right. that Lenny has. Right. Um, well, okay. <laughs> I didn't make anything of it at the time, I guess. Um, but I'm making something of it now. We're going to go to a weird place, and then we're going to go to a regular place. Well, I want nothing more in my life, <laughs> okay. Regan. Come on. <laughs> so so commonly in Eastern animation, a nosebleed is a symbol of, like, eroticism. Okay. And so I thought this he wants this so badly that it's become, like, almost, an almost erotic yeah. fantasy for him, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But also the nosebleed, I also think in the Western look, is like a view of like, there's something wrong with your head. That could be the other clue of like, something's not going well upstairs yeah. for Lenny. Yeah. I think both of those are kind of relevant readings okay. of the situation. Well, um, and I mean, and as you and I have joked and like also seriously in some ways discussed before, Lenny's full of Freudian bullshit. So I mm-hmm. think that actually like reading it as erotics in some way makes sense. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. The potential Lenny replacements who are all right. now re-angling to be the next Pope are also really in their feelings and in their fragility in this episode. Right. So we have a couple of conversations. We have Captain Asetta and Voyello. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning of the episode, right. then we have the two of them <laughs> and Spencer. Although Captain Asetta is like checked out and like smoking down some uh, some oxygen uh, yep. for that for that. Uh, as they discuss what to do about Lenny, should they force him to resign? How would they go about doing so? And crucially, who would replace him? Right. I would say of the three who are all clearly prepping to make bids to be the Pope. Um, <laughs> and say as much. And say as much, yes. Um, I feel the best option would be Kelton Aceta. <laughs> why, why is that? Why would he be your, uh, your Pope? I think he is the one with the most morals. A man aware of his humanity and his relationship to God, right? He has that really great confrontation with Spencer in episode four? Three or four. Three or four. Where he's like, what what are we supposed to do? We're priests. Yeah. He knows what this job is about. Mm -hmm. He's had the realest conversation with Lenny, except for maybe until this episode of all of the college. Yeah. Like, at this point, Voyello, you know, has done too much scheming. He is not meant to be the Pope. He, I, no. And Spencer is a, an incredibly flawed person who I think clearly has a really fraught relationship with God. Fraught relationship with God and, like, is an alcoholic, right? That too. Cal Nacetta, yeah, that man loves to smoke, but he He's knows. counteracting that with the oxygen. Right. He's He has some balance. He knows. He clearly also loves being a priest. He's also someone who brings into question the validity. Like, early on in episode one, he's part of the four. Yes. Who's questioning how real is this? Because yeah. he believes this is real. Yeah. And questioning Voyello, mm-hmm. right, as well. And so that doesn't quite trust him. And I think it's also notable that Kelton Aceta, uh even while he would be very happy, I think, to have Lenny resign and to become the Pope, he also ultimately, like, stops Voyello from using the material that Voyello had gathered, which, of course, he had kept another copy yes. and another jump drive um, of the photos of Lenny and Esther. But Calcinacetta says, even though he thinks it would be great for the church if there were a new Pope, doing it in that way would be such a mistake that he, like, eventually compels Voyello to hand over this USB mm-hmm. drive to him so that Voyello isn't tempted to use it down the line. So, right. again, there's the, like, we have to hold up the fragile weight of God. Mm-hmm. He also has to, you know, this is him being a good priest and his understanding of what being a priest is. He also has to hold up Voyello to, like, prevent Voyello from following right. his temptations. Oh, that's a great, great insight, John. 
Thank you. That was a good one. <laughs> I know, I know, I know about nothing if not uh, Catholic, right. weird priestly relationships. Yes, something of like course. that. Of <laughs> um, And then, if, but we also see that Spencer is so oh. trusting that he's going to get it. He does yes. his dress rehearsal of of Ciao Roma. Yeah. Um, you know, and giving his first speech to the Vatican. Yeah. Um, he wants it so badly. I feel in it. his fancy robes. Yep. And I feel like that is not. I feel like that's our foreshadowing that he's not going to get it. I can't comment on that specifically, but what I will say is that I loved the sound design of the way they shot mm, this scene. Yeah, me too. And that there's a couple different versions of it, right? We hear his chow Roma, mm-hmm. but then there's we get him in total silence mm-hmm. speaking into the mirror, which I found very like profound mm-hmm. and affecting. Like mm-hmm. there is actually no audience. There is actually no response. He is indeed all and there is no crowd there right? mm-hmm. that I thought was communicated really effectively and it was just a cool effect in a show that like likes its intrusive cool sound design yeah. to like be able to rely on silence in James Cromwell's acting in that moment is mm-hmm. really nice yeah. and then we like get the more traditional kind of sound design for yeah. him continuing his uh, dress rehearsal speech yes. no I think that's a good a good read so many finite and fragile humans Regan so many I can think of one Totally uh, infinite and not at all fragile experience. Yep. And that is Regan's Rectory. All right, here we Let's go. Let's do the segments. Okay. So in my rectory, um, I feel that um, I love that Girolamo got to go to the beach. Yeah. So happy for him. Yeah. How wonderful. Seems to be having a great time. Having it, living his best life. Show. Living his best life. I feel that Girolamo's days are numbered. Okay. I still predict that he is not going to make it to the end of the series yeah. or he will not make it into the new Pope. I'm also, like, just saying again, rest in peace, Andrew, and all of my Andrew theories. Really would have loved to see Andrew and Lenny get into a fist fight, um, alas. So RIP to those theories. RIP to the theories also. Um, I feel that Sister Mary is also going to get into some deep trouble in the next few episodes. Things are going to start backfiring on her. Um, So that's, I think, my, my rectory. Yeah. Of what I think will happen. Okay. Any more specifics you want to offer about Sister Mary? Um, okay. So she has said doubtingly in this moment to Lenny, like she believes he is Christ reincarnated, basically. Um, I think she is going to get caught saying something to Voyello or t- caught in her team up with Voyello that will mean that she is toast. Yeah, we have to assume that Lenny would be very mad, right, if he found yeah. out the full extent of what Mary is right. collaborating mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. with Voyello. Yeah. Right. So that's that's what I think might happen. All right. We've got some theories for the rectory. We do have to uh, build it back after the RIP Andrew theories. It's true. Should we talk in about some gloss? Let's go to gloss. Gloss. The closing scene I really, really enjoyed in this episode. Mm-hmm. We have... The extreme contrast of Lenny purposefully, like, and joyfully walking along, seeing the various sisters, like, Mm -hmm. washing their clothes. Mm -hmm. He nods at them. They nod back at him. This seems like Lenny more at peace and, like, almost, like, triumphant or, like, he has come to some resolution for himself and his role or kind of renewed his commitment to the role is how I think we're able to read that scene. Mm -hmm. But that's contrasted with Andrew's body being dumped by the side of the road Mm -hmm. in as unceremonious a way as possible. Yeah. So there's that sharp contrast, like, visually, there's that sharp contrast. Emotionally, there's that sharper contrast, um, like, plot-wise as well. And it's that... Um, you know, the certainty or the triumph or the resolution that Lenny is feeling that's paired with the death of like the one of the people he was closest to. So just I thought like a really excellent way to close the episode. Mm, yeah, I agree. It was a masterful scene in many ways, mirroring the party and exiting that. Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene, however, was watching <laughs> the Italian X Factor within the Pius family with Peter and little Pius the Fourteenth and Esther. Both Pius, both both Piuses, both Piuses. What a what a way! Um, seeing Lenny in like an ordinary person's house yeah. um, in his getup is yeah. hilarious. Watching, a, what did you like? What were you primed to have happen? Because like it's. 
the way that it's filmed is just the Italian X Factor clip, and then right. it like steps back to show yeah. that it's on TV so. in someone's house. What did you think was going to be on the other side okay. of Italian X Factor? This is again moment? just me. Like I feel like my brain goes weird places. But okay, so I was watching well, this it's not quite great books TV right. podcast. So I'm watching that part of the episode on my phone um, because I because reasons we don't need to get into. Sure, um, but I'm trying to be a good student, right? And so I'm watching it on my phone, and I was on the HBO app on Max, right, on my phone. <laughs> and I was like, son of a bitch, are they get really putting an X-Factor ad on... Uh, I pay for this! You know what? David Zaslav would. Yes. Right? I was like, I pay for this! I don't... Why is there a commercial <laughs> so that's really where I went. Yeah. Um, so you thought I was going to pull back to Zaslav being like, no. thank you, subscriber, for subscribing to Max, but we're still giving you these fucking I don't know. I thought I was going to see some some indicator that it was a commercial. And then it <laughs> and then it switched to, like, that terrible singer um, singing the Jeff Buckley version of Hallelujah. Um, and then I was like, oh, oh, they're watching it on TV. Okay, got it. <laughs> Um, so that's where I went initially. Um, but yes, and then it pulls back into the scene and pans across Esther and then Peter. Then there's Lenny. With holding little pious. Holding little pious while he, uh, while he um, fusses. And then Lenny announces the only time he's ever spoken Italian. Right. He's, he says the liturgy or, and then he has this moment. Or he has That's this it. moment in which he expresses that little pious like needs a diaper Latin. change. Yeah. <laughs> but then goes and does it, right? Right. Our domestic was, labor king, Lenny. I was very, um, very proud of him for doing that. Um, and without even gloves on also. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> he does love his gloves. I think that the transition from the X Factor, Italian X Factor singing Hallelujah to they just like use the Jeff Buckley version right. while as Lenny like it's we have the like sacred profane dichotomy yes, yeah. which everyone loves um, to do that as he goes to change the diaper yes um, as Jeff Buckley is crooning in an emotional way <laughs> What a scene and like what a oh what a show to just like drop that in. And obviously like clearly Paolo Sorrentino is having fun earlier with like the news segment mm-hmm. uh about Tonino Bettola right. uh or this kind of moment of, you know, like bringing in shades of culture that he is interested in playing with. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You love to see it. Right. My other favorite scene was Calton Aceto when um the camera sweeps across this large table and there's Calcio Nassetta with his cannula of oxygen smoking a cigarette as usual with his sunglasses on <laughs> indoors. And I was like, that is the man I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. effortlessly cool mm-hmm. and a good priest. Yep. Yeah. And carrying the weight of God. Oh, he sure does. And I also really enjoyed his appearance in the opening scene mm. of the show. Like, that is a very beautifully shot conversation. Yes. Um, of Voyello walking up the steps even, like, was beautifully shot. And then the way that, like, Calton said it kind of, like, mm-hmm. is revealed to be behind the, like, fountain or statue. I forget exactly what it was in the center of We have Calton Aceta kind of, like, peering out from the side. Maybe right. it's like the camera pans to the side as they're in this, like, gazebo slash, yeah. like, religious structure slash, right. like, um, you know, beautifully yeah, cast really. uh, A stones. lot of good shots this episode. Also, um, I will, would maintain that there is uh, a slight... Like Vertigo possible reference. That's my favorite movie is Vertigo. Mm. Like a slight Vertigo reference in that opening scene. Okay. I was going to say another scene that I thought was cool panning was um, when at the end Lenny is like exchanging nods, but he's also in his entire getup. Yeah. With the white gloves, hat, hat, his big hat, right? And he's walking through different galleries in uh, the Vatican with his sunglasses on, (laughs) Um, which I thought was quite the move. Absolutely. Um, and there's also, in this again, serves to like, I think, contrast the how does Mary pray versus how does Lenny yeah. pray. That Lenny has often been shot from above while praying. Yeah. And so too is Mary shot from above while she is praying mm-hmm. this episode. Yeah. That I thought I really, um, was really effective. And the lighting as well, when Lenny and Andrew are having their like argument, confrontation, conversation, because so much of this show is about how, 
does this like beatific angelic light shine on Lenny or follow Lenny around? Yeah. But in that particular scene, they are at sunset, mm-hmm. i.e. like we got some visual foreshadowing like of Andrew's death potentially with the sunset vibes there. And also that the lighting is so different than the way that Lenny is usually lit in daylight. Mm. Right? There's like a, there, it's darker. It's literally yeah. darker yeah. than the usual way that he is shot. I thought that was a really, really beautiful touch. Um, especially given what happens later in the episode. Right. Um, Tommaso and Lenny, like, when Lenny is giving his confession to Tommaso, slash not really giving his confession to Tommaso, there's this slow zoom out on Lenny as he's sitting there, um, and then a close-up on Tommaso, and then Tommaso, like, scurries away. It's <laughs> right. like, great, great, no notes. Really funny. No, no yeah, notes. Oh, good one. Oh, Tommaso. You mentioned earlier we got a slight fashion update on yes, Andrew, Andrew. R.I.P. R.I.P., but he's come out in his... Um, you know, he leaves the Vatican and gets in a car and, you know, some skinny jeans yeah. and a button down tucked in. I'm into the jeans. They great jeans. I'm here for the whole fit. Yeah. Um, I'm here for the whole fit. It's, I think Andrew feeling the most Andrew. I fully Clearly. agree with that. Interesting that he does, you know, back to your earlier point, like he's he's killed in those clothes rather than his priestly yeah. verbs. No, yeah. I think that is significant to the fact that he was getting ready to probably leave the church. I think that's a very, very real possibility. And I affirm that reading. Thank you. Thank you. Should we go to potpourri? Uh, I think we had a lot of potpourri this week. Yeah, you had a lot of potpourri. I do. A rare occasion. Right. Yeah. I will say, I was talking with, uh, I saw Danielle Hanley recently, and she really appreciates the knowledge of Catholicism that you bring to this podcast. Danielle, thank you. And simultaneously the, like, distance and critique of, she's got no notes and very much affirms that that existence and being in the world. Danielle, this is why I love you. So, uh, do you want to start us off, though, in potpourri? Uh, Sure. I thought um, it was a really lovely moment of um, Andrew, or no, pardon me, of Spencer bringing us back to, like, who carries the weight of God? What is the purpose of a priest? With his um, kind of rehearsal scene um, in his red outfit, in his red papal outfit. Um, I wonder if he has the red shoes. Mm -hmm. You know. Great question. He would have the red shoes. He would probably just have in the advance. Red shoes. Yeah, just like just in case he needs. I feel them. like Spencer probably has like a really cool pair of like red Yeezys. Frankly, <laughs> that would be Spen- my take. Spencer of all people. I feel strongly. I feel like Spencer's probably wow. a big basketball fan. I could see that actually. I'm trying to think who would be who would be the most likely character on the show to have red Yeezys. It's Spencer. Is it Spencer? Andrew would never. He wouldn't spend the money on him. He wouldn't. I think, like, Aguirre could. Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I would say maybe. Um, we'll get to Royella's footwear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, I think all that scene as, you know, maybe a window into, like, the ambition of Cardinals for how much they would like to become Pope. Like, maybe mm. that's a, you know, yeah. calling our attention to that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So the one mark against Calton Aceta that I will offer at the beginning of the episode, when he and Viola are arguing, arguing over whether to release to the press these photos of Lenny touching Esther's breast, mm-hmm. and Calton Aceta says, Lenny's a terrible pope. It'd be great to have him gone, but we can't release the photos because mm-hmm. that would be the lowest point ever for the church. Mm. And I don't know. <laughs> I can think of hundreds, thousands, and maybe even millions of potential lower points for the church. So just like the, that, as an indicator of the, again, moral economy of the church, like that is what Carlton Aceto would frame as the mm-hmm. lowest point of the church if those photos of Lenny touching Esther's breast were to be uh, revealed to the public. Mm-hmm. Like that's just so telling of a certain kind of worldview right. that that would be his example. Not like covering up facilitating sex abuse, not the Crusades, not the Inquisition, not right. on and on and on right. and on and on. This is what I'll say in a in a little bit of Calton Aceta defense, but also recognizing the church has done many horrible things. I personally believe that Calton Aceta is coming from the the point of view of the of the papal state as an actor on a national level. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Of maybe his lifetime only, and that's what he's thinking. Yeah. That's okay. He's only a man. Um, Is he alive while they were, you know, buddy-buddy with Mussolini? Maybe. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. I I thought we were going to the Crusades, and I was going to be like, that's a terrible (laughs) joke, John. No, I would never. Um, Anyways, 
Um, so I think this is my thought is that that would be a very low move on the church's point to do that publicly because it's exposing and taking advantage of someone who is otherwise a devout innocent. Yes. Who has been manipulated into doing this also. So it would also undermine everything Voyello has done and therefore everything Calcinacetta has done because he is someone who's trying to be the best he can be. I would say he has the right to say that. It is taking advantage of an, of someone who is like really not trying to do the damage but has been blackmailed into doing it essentially. I agree. And I, in some ways... I appreciate that the show didn't explicitly offer the logic of, like, this would be exposing Esther as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Because in some ways that would make the moral lines for us as viewers too clear. Yeah. Right? Whereas I much prefer you bringing this interpretation to us. Mm -hmm. But Carlton Aceta, like, articulating the explicitly institutional logic about Mm -hmm. why this would be the lowest moment. And I appreciate that the show is that that's the way the show has mapped this out for Mm -hmm, us. mm -hmm. So, but yeah, point well taken. I I do agree. Like this is not even, I mean, not even the worst thing the Catholic church has done, (laughs) but it would still be bad. And it would also place a lot on one person. Yeah. I have a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. How how many Cardinals do you think have full soccer kits on hand? A la Boyella. (laughs) Um, Just Voyello, right? I feel like Voyello. I feel like there's got to be does more. Does Frankie? Frankie probably does. I think so. I'm going to say, I mean, how big is the College of Cardinals? 100-ish. 100-ish. I would say probably at least 25 of them do. Wow. That's my guess. All right. I would have gone with Soccer like, is a big deal. It is. Football. I would have gone with like four. I'm going to I'm gonna go for 25. Okay. That's interesting. I do love... So, I mean, Sylvie Orlando, just like... He's living the MVP, living the best life. Right. Um, um, this episode did make me feel more endeared towards Voyello in many ways. Yeah. But him in the full kit with the Voyello number one <laughs> on the back of the jersey. Like, you know, please give me more shows with, like, writers and actors and creative minds who have enough thoughtfulness, humor, and care to, like, include the moment of Voyello turning around so we can see that on the back of his, uh, on the back of his jersey. That's what I want in the world. And then I think before we get to the sub-segment that everyone loves, we have Lenny's allusion to it only being 13 centuries <laughs> for which there was a vow of chastity yes. for the four priests or for cardinals or whatever. So we did some wikipedia and here is what uh, Wikipedia has given to us. It is sometimes claimed, I'm quoting from the Wikipedia, clerical celibacy in the Catholic Church. You're welcome, <laughs> Sunni Plasberg ITS, that I am reading. It is sometimes claimed that celibacy became mandatory for the Latin Church priests only in the 11th century. That would be uh. Lenny's, like, that could be Lenny's 13th century okay, okay. business. Um, but others say, for instance, it may be fairly be said by the time of St. Leo the Great, 440 to 461, the law of celibacy was generally recognized in the West, and that the 11th century regulations on this matters on simony should obviously not be interpreted as meaning that either non-celibacy or simony were previously permitted. However, there is documentation that up to the 12th century, many priests in Europe were married, and that their sons would often follow their path, which made the reforms difficult to implement. The last married pope was Adrian II, circa 867 to 872, which would be almost exactly the 13th century. So mm-hmm. I maintain that Lenny is referring to Pope Adrian II okay. in that moment. But I learned this and knew, I assumed that like that had been part of it from the beginning. I knew it wasn't. I yeah. knew that there was like some some history of the ancient world because um, I think part of that is the reforms um, because... I think Lutheran past Lutheran pastors are obviously allowed to be married. The vicars in um, the Anglican Church are allowed to be married. You know, off and on into Protestantism, but also um, Eastern Orthodox priests can be married. Yeah. Um, well, I, look, Wikipedia says that this was indeed a major point of contention in the Reformation, and it the, was. a lot of the reformers thought that the uh, celibacy vow degraded marriage and was a reason for abominations. Wikipedia would also like to point out that Zwingli, Luther, and Calvin were all married. Oh my. So. Good points. Yeah. Do you um, think that uh, there's more than one author of the 95 Theses? 
you never, you know, all good writers have, um, have feedback. <laughs> oh, we love writing Senna Regan, yes. uh, making an appearance in not quite great books as right. well. All right. Where in the world is John's confirmation? You have a surprise for I have me. A surprise. I don't know who this is going to be. So this person, um, whom I've have, uh, chosen, uh, is known for this quote of turn me over. I'm burning on one side. <laughs> it's St. Lawrence. <laughs> Uh, St. Lawrence is was martyred, the patron saint of many things, um, comedians being the first of them. Okay. Uh, also, archivists, librarians, students, makes sense, John is an eternal sure. student, miners, tanners, um, chefs, um, he's also chef, you know, because he was barbecued to death, essentially, um, and therefore that goes on along with the poor, with roasters, and with firefighters. <laughs> Do you think 13-year-old John would have picked St. Lawrence? I wish I could say that 13-year-old John was metal enough to choose St. Lawrence, <laughs> but he was not, I regret to inform you. No. Yeah, mm-hmm. so today, like if I was going to confirm tomorrow, I think this is a very, very viable possibility and maybe the winner, mm. but I don't think that uh, adolescent John was uh, cool enough. I see. Uh, t- or had his, you know, enough of a, a goth sense of uh, being in the world to choose this fellow. Yeah. But uh, archivist, librarian, students, I'm a fan of all those things. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you are a funny person. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. You're welcome. I don't necessarily think that about myself, so I appreciate that very much. Uh, so St. Lawrence, winner for 36-year-old John, sadly not a winner for 13-year-old John, okay. we assume. All right, fair enough. All right. World's favorite podcast segment, Hot Priest Rating. Okay. I've been informed there's going to be some major groundbreaking news in yes. this episode. In this yes. segment. So for one, we're getting two Hot Priest Ratings. <laughs> oh my God. I know. So our first, I will go for Lenny, who I feel has finally reached near wow. the top. Okay. This is, I think, Lenny at his hottest because he's the most vulnerable. So he's getting the official rating of Graham from the holiday. A momentous occasion. Right. Because Graham is nothing if not vulnerable and learns from his mistakes and Lenny's having a major crisis right now. Is he learning from his mistakes? Not yet. Okay. But maybe. Right. But he also does the domestic thing of changing a diaper, which Graham would do. Okay. So he's doing labor, domestic labor. He's being vulnerable. He's hitting all the marks of the female gaze. Um, he only wears gloves once for a brief scene. We all know <laughs> that hands are a very important part of the female gaze. So when you see Barbie, there's a couple of moments when I really want you to think about where is there are several moments where I was like, oh, this is like Regan's whole theory of the need <laughs> for the female gaze, like enacted in cinema. Okay. So I just should be for that. But more importantly than that, this is 100% correct hot priest rating. I have zero notes. Okay. I My other that. note, though, though, however, is that I feel that Andrew has reached the pinnacle of hot pe- of the hot priest from Fleabag in this what episode. A, what an episode. I know. We see him with his shirt off from the back. I was very here for the freckles on the back of his shoulders. Yeah. You know how I feel about freckles. It's a complicated relationship. <laughs> And then he. You, you knew a lot of Irish Catholics in here. You haven't been. Right, as my last partner was an Irish Catholic, covered in freckles. True. Um, so I feel that he has hit the hot priest rating of being self-aware, right, and just being a hot guy. Yeah. So Andrew has hit the full hot priest. Right. We will see where Lenny goes. I think that's what goes on his tombstone if his body right. is ever recovered. Like achieved full hot priest and flea bag. Yes. Yeah. Should we go to the cave? I don't know what's... <laughs> I'm just so moved by the hot priest rating segment. <laughs> but I somehow, some way, I think I can muster some energy to do bullshit political theory about TV shows. <laughs> I don't know how I'm full of such reserves of, of energy. But we've it got... It was our peanut butter m and <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Regan did come through in the clutch with, like, a trip to the vending machine in Hawkins Hall for some peanut butter m ms for us to share. And it was great. Right before we started recording. Yes. Aquinas? Aquinas time. Okay, we are, surprise, surprise, in the Summa. Here we are in 2A, 2AE, 58. We're deep, deep in Aristotle hours in the Summa at this part. So oh here's, here's our My book boy, for Ari today. T. Uh, Ari T, I like. Toddle, shout out to 
Emily Crandall, Steph O'Donnell, and I forget who else. We came up with that joke together in a comp study group. So here's Aquinas, quote, Legal justice does indeed direct man sufficiently in his dealings with others. As regards the common good, it does so immediately. But as regards the good of another individual, it does so only immediately. Only insofar as the good of that individual is part of the common good. And so there must be particular justice to direct a man immediately to the good of another individual as such. How have I gotten such good quotes I'd, seven episodes in a row? I continue to insist it's like your D, it's like you communing uh, Aquinas College to this, this true. moment. I did, I did make the pilgrimage. In the year of our Lord, 2023, I, you are uh, still maintaining your Aquinas. Maybe it's because skills. I made the pilgrimage back to Aquinas College. You did. For a brief run around and visit while drinking Fago Pop. <laughs> I mean, I can think of no less godly activity than that. Thank you. Yeah. Fago Pop is fucking <laughs> I have never drinking a Fago, even with my, like, many years in the Midwest. Well, to be fair, I will say they're hard to find in Wisconsin. Yes, hypothetically, except that if you go to Woodman's, i.e. the best grocery store chain of Wisconsin, mm. then... Fago is plentiful. Okay. And I and I nevertheless failed. Okay. Well, this is what I'm going to say is that if you have a chance to have Fago pop at some point, I feel that you like me will be a peach Fago pop person. Okay. And that's the flavor I recommend for you. All right. If I ever come across it, I'll, you know, I'll pour it out in your honor and then drink another one. You don't need to pour it out. You need to drink <laughs> the whole thing. Don't waste it. It's a precious resource. Give it back to the give it back to the earth <laughs> from, from, from where it came. <laughs> Natural. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Aquinas. Okay, so part of me goes, okay, immediately we're seeing like the narco speech. Yes, exactly. Right? Um, an immediate connection of like, what are we doing that is the good thing? What are we doing that's the right thing? Right? Because I think that's kind of what he's dealing with. I'd agree with you there. Because there's the, there's the Aquinas part about, like, there needs to be a direction or an orientation mm-hmm. by justice or by, like, right. I think the implication is that, like, when we bring together so divine perhaps- law and human law, we can direct people towards the common good and the way that individuals are part of that common good. Perhaps um, a direct comment on the justice system of Honduras. Um, it's a pity we're not at Aquinas College because I'm sure that um, Dr. Roger Durham, one of um, the U.S.'s um, lauded celebrator or celebrated scholars of Latin American politics would have um, loved to weigh in on this. Yeah. Um, I mean, this would have been an interesting show to like bring in some liberation theology into. Yeah, that too. Um, and I don't know. And like maybe there's a different universe where like Andrew does have some of that interest right. given his extensive time. We're led to believe extensive time right. in Honduras. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've been talking all episode about, like, the moral economies and moral worldviews mm-hmm. of different characters of the show itself on the moral challenges that are posed to the viewer. So I think some Aquinas on justice and the, and the common good is, is appropriate. I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right. <sighs> we got some theory shipping to do. This is true. All right. I've got several, so I should refrain. Okay. Um, I came up with one while thinking through the episode a little bit. Um, so I'm going to recommend <laughs> that um, Calton Asetta read some marks. Yeah. Um, and talk about the different work-life balance. Um, I'm also going to recommend Spencer in a funny turn, um, who is doing his I'm just, little... I'm sorry, I'm still laughing about Calton Asetta reading marks to learn about work-life balance is beautiful, and I love it. I just wanted you. to know that. Thank you. Um, my other rec- my other theory of this episode is um, we see Spencer do his Pope co- a cosplay, um, you know, a very fanish activity. I would assume he's a fan of the Pope, or at least the office of the Pope. I think office of the Pope, yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm going to recommend that he reads some Rebecca W. Black um, on fanish activities and how they can change the world. How can they change the world? Um, well, they can improve your mastery of English, which is what her first book is about. Okay. Um, but also how they can interact with the world. I think of like fanish activities that have done good. Um, the fandom that shall not be named. Mm-hmm. It's Harry Potter, everybody. I have a controversial relationship with Harry Potter these days. Um, As one should. Had um, a great run for a while with um, the Harry Potter Alliance that did a lot of good in um, the sales of chocolate and ethical harvesting and payment of um, chocolate harvesters in particular. So yeah, I think being a fan, you know, fanish activities can change the world. Cool. 
in small ways. All right. And big. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. I got some theory ships as well. So many. But I think most importantly, I would like to assign Lenny some Carol Pateman, the sexual contract, who I'm pretty sure is a one of the go-tos for Danielle and I in American's world. But Lenny has this whole speech about how like priests can never grow up because they can never be fathers, they can only be sons, because God is the father, because they're celibate, so on and so forth. And I think if Lenny could be f- compelled to read, because he would never otherwise do it, some Carol Payman, The Sexual Contract. And that's a book that's all about like the tying together of political power with the power that men held o- hold over women. Uh, It's also a book about, like, how the social contract is, in fact, like, predicated on a sexual contract that ensures violent access to women's bodies and secures patriarchal dominion over the both public and private sphere while also restricting women to the private sphere, among many, many other things that Carol Pateman is doing. But she's very, very deeply interested in how the positions and relationality among fathers, sons, and brothers is implicated in, shaped by, and in turn shapes political power. And I think that we really need to have Lenny thinking a little more critically about the way his whole personal hangups about like parents and children and himself mm-hmm. and his speech about parents and uh, orphans and children in the church uh, reflects a certain patriarchal view of political power as well. Mm. Yeah, I can be here. So that's most obvious. Um, Although I would also like to throw some uh, second discourse from Rousseau, the discourse on inequality, to basically everyone. Um, Because (laughs) among the many things, many weird things that Rousseau is doing in that very bizarre text, it must be said, is trying to theorize pity as some sort of like fundamental or primary human uh, relationship to other humans. And pity becomes an explicit theme at a couple small points in this episode. Um, And then also like the way that Voyello talks about Girolamo is I think full of like a problematic kind of pity of able-bodied people towards disabled people. Mm. Rousseau's not going to fix that, but at least gives Voyello a little bit more to think about with regards Mm -hmm. to pity. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do the very obvious thing um, that uh, we're going to give Lenny and Andrew and Sister Mary, all of them, some Freud Mm. um, in a very obvious way. You know, we have Lenny explicitly talking about how like they can never take the place of God. Yeah. Um, And so, like, that combined with, like, sexual awakening, as you pointed out, vis-a-vis watching Sister Mary play basketball, uh, slash the whole, like, sister-mother situation, Mm -hmm. all of that just screams that we just need to give, like, a whole lot of Freud um, to Lenny and to Andrew. Like, I'm not going to just stop at, like, Oedipus stuff that's happening there, but also, like, civilization is discontents. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think Lenny could use some channeling into the oceanic feeling and all of that. um, and I'll say there's a Freud Pateman tie-in as well here that I won't get into. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it's a, a lot of theory shit. My, my what apologies. A, what a theory. What a, the, here on the great ship, not quite great book. Um, All right. Well, thank you for an excellent discussion, John. Thank you, Regan, for uh, for continuing on, <laughs> on, the, on the good ship, not quite great books, Popecast. Um, thanks, of course, to Danielle. Thanks, of course, to producer Amy. Reed and I will be back next week with episode eight of The Young Pope. And until then, thank you for listening to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It's created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time. Go play some racquetball.